Uh, well, month of November is uh, the theme of soul renovation. And uh, as I consider this theme, and also my life and maybe your life as well, is that there are areas in all of our lives that require repair, rebuilding, renovation. Is that there's things that, that can grab a hold of our lives and different habit patterns that we can try to deal with in our own strength. Uh, but God is, I found, the great renovator of our lives. And as I share this message today, I, I would ask that Holy Spirit would come and maybe illuminate some of those areas in your life that just need to be rebuilt, really need to be renovated in your life, and then also would give you the keys of how you can uh, carry about that work. Uh, my key text for today comes from Isaiah 58 and verse 12, and it says these words, Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And then you'll be known as a rebuilder of walls and the restorer of homes. Is that God is calling each and every one of us to be restorers and also to be rebuilders. Is whatever areas of our life that need to be renovated, refurbished, refreshed, restored, rebuilt, is that God is a God who is there for us to help in that but he calls each and every one of us to be builders and also restorers. The title of my message today is Building the Future, Restoring the Past. And I know this, when you and I place our lives in the hands of an almighty God, he refuses to let us, let us be exactly the same. As God's intention for every one of us was not to end where we started but God's intention for us was not to maintain status quo, but we would be multiply and we would be fruitful around about our lives. Uh, I found throughout the Word of God is that God uses metaphors on many occasions to uh, explain spiritual concepts. And one of the great metaphors that he uses is that of architecture. Uh, and we see that God is a great architect. He, he is a creator. And in this verse here, it says that he would enable you and I to be builders and to be restorers of things that have ruined in our life or things that need a, of restoration. It, it is one thing for us to plant a seed and to see a seed grow, but it's a whole other thing to build something. Is a build, uh, uh, building things take work. It takes a vitality. It takes a tenacity. It takes an energy. It takes an incredible focus. And as we're in this theme of soul renovation, I pray that you would have a tenacity uh, you would put a trust and a confidence in God that areas of your life that need to re be rebuilt will be rebuilt as we drive through our streets and through our suburbs is that we find our nation right now is in a, in a time of a renovation revolution. It's almost like every second house is being renovated as people are working on their properties and all the builders I see are nodding their heads right there. Uh, is you go down streets and renovations are taking place. I, I know for Nadine and I, over the last number of years, we have been in a renovation project. And uh, I found a, a lot of things about renovations. It takes planning. It takes vision. It takes a lot of conflict resolution as we, uh, as we have differing opinions. Uh, is, uh, I'm colorblind, but I love to be involved in color palette of the house. Like... <laughs> I don't know why I should just lay that down. Dean's like, well, you want a mauve house? Go ahead, paint the house mauve. But 
but there's conflict that takes place and how you deal with that it's a it's an investment of resources it's an investment of time it's it's, sometimes it's chaotic i remember a time where all of us uh, nadine and i and the kids were in this one room together everything else had been demolished we're living in that was like the nightmare year of my life it was like and the kids also said and we also had the cat in there like if anyone's like i don't like the cat i don't like the cat but i have a year of him in my room but I found that uh, renovations, they take time. But I found over the time of the renovation is that out of chaos comes order. As you look back on the progress that has taken place, is you would never change one minute of that as you, as you see this renovation taking place. I found it so easy to identify areas of my property that need to be renovated, that need to you know, be rebuilt and restored but when it comes to our own lives, those areas that need to be rebuilt and reestablished and reordered, sometimes it's not easy to identify those things. And once they are identified, I find it even more challenging of how am I actually going to fix that area of my life? How do I change that habit pattern that's grabbed a hold of me for decades and decades and I've tried everything to, to remove that out of my life and to... But it just seemed to... It never seems to go away. I, I can identify externally things that need to change, but when it comes to internal change, how do I actually change those things? And so this morning as I preach this message, I pray Holy Spirit would illuminate those areas that need to change, but not just illuminate those areas, but also give you keys as to how you can bring about change. So I wonder what it is today that needs to be rebuilt in your life. I wonder what it is that needs to be renovated in your life is to renovate simply means this it means to repair or restore something back to a better condition i wonder what it is in each and every one of our lives today that just needs to be better than what it currently is i i know that we have a god that continually transforms us from glory to glory to glory well what's the next little bit of glory for you well, what's the next little bit of transformation that needs to take place? And I found that when it comes to renovating our soul, rebuilding our soul, there are two words that we need to know so, so well. They're just two little words, and these words are be and do. Is we must know our being, and we also must know what our doing is. And in order to renovate our soul, is we must know these two words. How are we to be and what are we actually to do? Is that Jesus has this encounter with the rich young ruler in Luke 18 and verse 18. And uh, the rich young ruler asks Jesus this question. He says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he asks this question, Jesus, what do I have to do in order to return, achieve eternity with you? See, the, the rich young ruler identified that there was something lacking in his life. And so he asked this question, what do I have to do? Well, what do I have to accomplish on earth in order to receive a heavenly result? What, what earthly task do I need to do today that's going to give me a heavenly reward, a godly outcome? Well, what do I have to do? We flick over to John chapter 3 and Jesus says something completely different. In John 3 and verse 3, and it says this, And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mum's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be. Everyone say be. You must be born again. So the rich young ruler says, what must I do? Jesus says, you must be born again in order to receive eternal life. I wonder who's right. Is the rich young ruler right? Well, what do I have to do? What do I have to accomplish to obtain eternal life? Well, Jesus, do I just have to be in order to achieve that? I want to let you know, Jesus is always right, okay? He's always right. If you, if you ever read through this Bible and you think something totally opposite to this Bible, I want to let you know today, you're wrong. Because <laughs> he's always right. He's always right. And so there's this tension between being and doing. Do I just have to be or do I just have to do? Or what is this? And let me explain these two words to you. Is that do, being is this. Being is a state rather than an activity. Be, to be is to be in the presence of God. And out of being in the presence of God, God transforms us. Being emerges from an attitude of heart that values one's connection with God. And so being is being in intimacy and dynamic relationship with Jesus. And all the way throughout the Word of God is the Word of God tells you and I to be. Very first commandment, to command to humanity, is that we are to be, be fruitful and multiply. To Joshua, be strong, be courageous. To New Testament believers, to be holy, be love, be peace. Be gentleness. Be born again. Be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that so many of the concepts of the Word of God are for you and I to actually be. And then doing is things that we actually accomplish. The things that we do for God in doing, we reach out externally. We reach out beyond ourselves. But I found in that this place of doing is that we are obsessed with doing. Is humanity is, is obsessed with doing? Is that the world applauds you and I when we do things? Is so many of us get our value from actually doing, but our true value never comes from doing, it always comes from being. But we live in a world that is so obsessed with actually doing, and so many of us as believers, we get caught into the trap is that we become, we become holy or we become in greater relationship with God by what we actually do rather than just being in the presence of God. Now, I find throughout Scripture there is this tension between am I supposed to be or am I supposed to do? And in order to renovate our soul, we've got to find out the truth of these two words. If we just be, if we're just in the presence of God all the time, just about me and God is that then nothing gets accomplished on earth. <laughs> but if we're all just about doing things, is that our relationship with God is now based on works, it's based on performance, not out of a dynamic relationship and intimacy with God. So what, what does the Word of God say about this tension? Is uh, Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says these words. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God not of works, 
lest anyone should boast. So if I read that passage, that, that passage is all about being. It's, it's all about what Jesus has accomplished for us and that salvation comes through, through grace and grace alone. It comes through no effort of ourselves except an open heart to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But I'm so grateful that it just doesn't stop there. We go on to verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so here this passage is saying is, it is about being that we find eternal life and salvation in Jesus, but then God has also fashioned us and formed each and every one of us that we'd also do good works. Uh, we flick over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it talks about all the spiritual gifts that are available for his sons and daughters that can become active and alive in our lives. Then we go over then to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it says that we, even though we can have all these spiritual gifts in our lives, that if we don't have love, they're just like a clanging cymbal. The things we actually do just make all this noise but bring no glory and honor to God. And then that chapter ends with these words, and let these three remain, faith, hope, and love. What are those ones? They're all places of being. Skip over Romans chapter 4. Paul starts talking about that we're only we're justified by faith. It's not of works at all. Then you go into the book of James, and James says, you know what? Your faith without works is actually dead. Who are we supposed to believe? Well, where's the truth in this tension? Because we get caught up on it. Am I just supposed to be or am I supposed to do? Uh, the Word of God is not, is not presenting these opposing truths. They're presenting harmonious truths together. It's not an either-or. It's a both and. Is that we are all called to be in dynamic relationship with God and out of that place of being with God and having our lives transformed into his likeness and his image, then we are commanded to go. But so often we can flip that around the wrong way. Let's have a look at a chart here. But one side of being, one side of doing and as I reflect on this chart, so often I've not lived on the left-hand column, I've lived on the right-hand column. Assuming that all the things I do for God, all the things I do for humanity around about me, are going to lead to me being a better person. If I, if I just do these things for God in the world around about me, well, I'm going to be holy. You know what? I found that whole, we don't become holy by doing things. We become holy by being in the presence of God. And so I pray if you're like me and you, you just love this, I love work, I love it. I don't get tired, I don't get exhausted from work, and I love work, I love doing that. And, and that's my error, is that I, I can do anything for God. But at times, just to be in His presence, that's the thing I've got to work on day in, day out in our lives. Because it's from being in a place of being that God actually vitalizes me and energizes us to go and to do. How many times did Jesus call his disciples aside and say, I don't want to hear about the ministry reports. I don't want to hear about the healing of the sick and the casting out of demons. Let's just retreat. Let's, let's step aside. Let's be in the presence of God. Because God never wants you and I to go for him without him. 
Many times I've gone for God without God and I've been an absolute fake and a fraud. And the last thing I ever want to be or continue to be is a fake and a fraud. The presence of God inside of us. And so being is being in relationship with Jesus. And out of being in relationship with Jesus, we then go and have activity in the world around about us. There's times where we just need to retreat, be in the presence of God in order then to go out and engage the world around about us. It's being is about abiding, John 15. It says that he's the vine, we, we're the branches. You know, our, our goal in life is just to be a branch. It's not to be the vine, not to be the vine dresser, just be a really good branch. And if you're a really good branch, the life source of Jesus Christ flows through you. And it goes on and says, you, you, can't, you can't bear fruit of your own. I, we all try to manufacture fruit. We, we just want to squeeze, want to squeeze out some fruit out of me. I like just get some fruit. No, no, no. The fruit of God comes through abiding in God. And there'll be times where we come back and He'll prune your life. I, I find that pruning is a pruning is a reward for fruitfulness because He just wants to make you more fruitful. And so, if you're in a season where God's pruning your back, like God, I love that. I've established something so beautiful, remarkable. He comes and prunes it. It's just a reward for you. It's not a punishment, it's a reward because he's saying, I'm going to make that more fruitful. And so we look here, and all I'm asking you to do today is don't live here. Don't live on this side thinking that you're going to become a better person because of doing that. Is Christianity is the only religion in the world where God calls us to be and then to do. Every other religion says you must do in order to be. No, 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 no. Don't be fooled by that. As you and I are called to be and then to go and do, not to do in order to bring glory and honor to God. It does. But the greatest glory and honor that we can bring to God is by being full of God. Where this tension exists between doing and being, would you choose and would you err on the side of being with God that out of that, he will equip you and enable you to go into all the world making disciples. And as we finish up this message today, I, I want to give you a couple of thoughts on how you and I can rebuild. How, how do we renovate? How do we restore those areas in our life? I want to read a passage of scripture from Zechariah chapter 4. The background here is a, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. He's been one of those ones in exile with the Israelites, about 42,000 of them have now returned back into Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel has this vision to rebuild the temple that was destroyed centuries earlier. And so he mobilizes a team to rebuild the temple. We pick up some of the story here in verse 6 of Zechariah chapter 4. It says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become level ground. Then he'll bring out the capstone. The capstone was the final stone that was laid on top of a wall or on top of a building to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. And then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. I, I want to let you know today that God is not afraid of our brokenness. He is not afraid of those areas that are in ruin right now. He is not afraid of areas of each and every one of our lives that need to be restored because he is the great architect. He is the great builder. 
He is the great restorer of our lives. And if you find yourself here this morning in a place of brokenness, don't be ashamed or embarrassed of that as you found yourself in the right place in the presence of God. And out of this passage, I just want to share two thoughts of how you and I actually rebuild and renovate our lives. And the first one is this, is that we are always designed to rebuild in God's presence. As God's word comes to Zerubbabel and says, it's not by might and it's not by your power, but it's by my spirit. It is, is he saying is that when you and I come to rebuilding and renovating our lives, it's not through our own internal strength. It's not necessarily just about reading the next self-help book on you know, 28 days to creating new habits in our lives, although those things are good. But I found in the presence of God, change is everlasting. And here, it's not by any strength not by any just inner determination for ourselves. No, it's by the Spirit of God added to our determination and added to our strength, added to our conviction that we're going to allow the Spirit of God to transform our lives. I wonder what it is today that needs to be rebuilt and reestablished and renovated in your heart. Would you rebuild in the presence of God? A couple of thoughts around this. Would you, would you protect your secret place? I wonder what your secret place looks like, that place of being, that place of intimacy, that place of relationship with God. Do you have a go-to place where you just know that you're going to encounter God there? My go-to place is mowing my grass. Friday afternoon, my yard did not even need to be mowed. And so I went and looked for my mower, but my mower was not in my normal place is my son-in-law had come and stolen, if he's watching. <laughs> no, no, he had asked. But he'd taken my mower, but when I went to look for my mower, he had never, he didn't return my mower. If you ever borrow anything from me, please return it. Uh, so, so I phoned my daughter. I said, so, I don't know if someone stole my mower or whether Jesse was just too lazy not to return my mower, but I need to mow my grass because <laughs> I've got a message to prepare for Redcliffe on Sunday morning. I, <laughs> Because I know, I know this. I know as soon as I, I pull that ripcord there and the smell of two-stroke comes in, my very best messages are written in that place. I, I, I would say like 98% of my messages are written behind a lawnmower. It, it, it's my go-to place. It, it's a place where I just, I know that God's going to speak. It, it's not my only place, all right? And like, it's not my, like 40 minutes every two weeks that I now, well now in summer, every week. Uh, no, no, we've got, to, we've got to have our go-to places. The places where you have once experienced the victory of God. I, I love that Elijah, when he took on the, broth, the, the, the brothels, the prophets. <laughs> A whole new dimension to that story. Um, <laughs> when he took on the prophets of Baal. You know, they, they brought out the sacrifice and the, the prophets, they shouted and cried all day long for that, but nothing happened. But it says, and Elijah came and he, he rebuilt the altar of old. He didn't rebuild a new altar, but he just he went back and rebuilt the altar that had see, previously seen fire fall in the presence of God fall. I wonder what altars that don't need to be rebuilt in our lives, but just need to be reestablished. The altar of prayer, the altar of worship, the altar of generosity, the altar of service. I wonder what it is to be, needs to be rebuilt. Would you protect that secret place, the place where it's just you and God? Because I found this in life. 
It's the practice of private that sets us up for public. It's what we do in the secret place, in the private place, that sets us up for the public. Let me explain this to you. Is a, a young shepherd boy by the name of David. He finds himself in the presence of the king on a battlefield. And the king says to David, you'll never be able to take down this giant. And David comes back to the king and says, well, king, you, you've never seen what I've done in the invisible realm, in my secret place, in the place that no one else has seen. And in that place, I've delivered the sheep on my family farm. I have killed both the lion and the bear because I have practiced in private. And now is my time to go public with what I have done in private, is that I can bring down this giant because I have practiced in private. John 13 talks about Jesus, takes a towel and a basin, and he gets down on his feet and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Peter's there saying, no, no, no. Jesus, only the lowest of the houses does this. But Jesus is a servant, and he's a servant in a private room because days later he's going to be a servant on a public cross. It's what you and I do in the, in the secret place that propels us to do something on the platform that the world would end up and see and notice. I, I think one of the greatest lies of the enemy is this, that it's okay for you and I to have two separate lives. It's okay to have a, have a, have a separate private life and have a separate public life. But you and I, we can never ever have a duplicity of heart when it comes to the kingdom of God. So the, the devil knows this, that if he can get you to practice wrong in private, he can take you down publicly. Would you and I protect the secret place, the invisible realm of our life? The second thought about this of how we rebuild in God's presence is that God wants us to ha live from the inside out. John chapter 7, verse 38 says, And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I, I wonder what is flowing out of our heart today. Because God's desire is that rivers would flow out of our hearts as we're in this place of relationship with God. There is this flow that comes out of us that cannot be that cannot be started with humanity and our will and our own effort, but it can only be started by the very presence of God, is that we'd have this inside-out flow. We are not designed to have an outside-in flow. If we have an outside-in flow, we are not designed to live off the oxygen of our circumstances. If we live from the outside-in, is that we become reactive rather than proactive is we go on the defensive rather than the offensive. We become a victim rather than a victor. And so in this place, in the presence of God, would you enable the Spirit of God to fill you to a place of overflow that rivers of living water would flow out of us? That out of our being, we could go and do great and mighty exploits for God. My second thought out of this passage of Scripture is, is that we rebuild with God's blessing. Verse 7, what are you, O mighty mountain? The obstacle is in front of him. Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he'll bring out the caps down to shouts of God bless it, 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 God bless it. Genesis 1.28, God's very first command and blessing over humanity was, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. 
when you or I are rebuilding our lives, will we allow God to come and bless it? I can imagine today there's some where you're in a place where you've said, oh, I, I've tried to rebuild that area of my life for decades, this habit pattern. I've tried everything. Hey, today, would you try again? No longer you find yourself just in a place of conviction, you find yourself in a place of condemnation. And I think it's the worst place to be that we'd ever find ourselves being condemned by the enemy. Today is a day of change. I wonder what it is that needs to be reestablished, rebuilt in your life. And through the work of your hands, that as you go and do what God calls you to do, be confident in this, that God's going to bless it. He's going to bless it. Would you stop cursing what God has blessed? Would you stop diminishing what God has blessed? Would you stop saying it's not enough for what God has blessed? It may look insufficient. The challenge may look insurmountable. But God, would you bless it? Would you bless the work of my hands today? As I find myself in your presence, that little boy's lunch that was such an insufficient meal, it was just a meal for one. As he looked out across the multitudes on the hill that day, and what did Jesus do? He took that which is insufficient. He looks up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for this. Would you bless it? I wonder what it is today that you're holding your hand. It's sufficient. It's not enough. But God says, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to bless it. Psalm 90, let's finish on this. And verse 17 says these words, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon you. Let the favor of God rest upon you. The overwhelming favor of God would rest upon each and every one of us. Would he establish the work of our hands? Yes, God, would you, would you establish the work of our hands? I want you to just look at your hands for a moment. It's one thing to plant a seed with these hands, water it and see the seed grow. It seems so easy. It's a whole different task to build diligence, it's an integrity, it's a, it's a trust. I just sense, maybe it's a couple of people here today, you say, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And I understand that place. you can't do it. You can't partner with God. You can rebuild in His presence. But it's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your skill. It's not by determination. It's by His Spirit. And God, and as I be in that place, would you, would you bless the work of His hands? Would you bless that vision that was once so alive in my heart that's died? Would you would you bless that thing that's now an obstacle, a mountain, an impossibility? Would you, would you bless today? Would you be found in these presence? And would you see that a God is for you and God is with you to bless your life?